Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Today is Tuesday, July 6th, and I hope everyone had a wonderful July 4th weekend. And now we are back to focused on back in the farm, of, as I said many times, to study the inspired and true word of God and to put on our Christ goggles with 2 Kings chapter 24. Man, we are close to the end, and what a wild ride it has been. I used this analogy on Friday. Um, it's like a roller coaster ride. And for me, I don't like roller coaster rides. And so maybe there's parts I haven't liked, but also we've been able to see God's grace. In chapter 23, we just studied some of the great highlights of Judah's history. Idols are being destroyed. Josiah made sure that made sure the Passover was coming back. The altar at Bethel that Jeroboam has created was destroyed finally. But Josiah's died. Now his sons have taken over, and would his faithfulness continue? Or would the proverbial other shoe drop? We'll find out this morning as the gifts are ready, ready for you. That strong word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. For more information about the great work they do around the world, visit lhfmissions.org. For more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Kevin Parviz of Congregation Kai V. Shalom. Pastor Parviz, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you. It's good to be here. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm great. I'm great. How was your, how, well, I'll do it this way. Tell us what's happening for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Kai V. Shalom. Uh, I mean, things are coming out of our post-COVID sort of thing. We're getting slowly back to normal. It's good. We've had uh, uh, some good things happen, and we're trying to work on getting our space prepared for the fall when we have the high holidays. So it's all good. Yeah, we had a good July 4th, a nice, nice day off, and it was fun. Well, great. I, you know, tell me, tell me this. What is like the first high festival that you get prepared for at Kaivi Shalom in the fall? So Rosh Hashanah is coming in September. It's the new year, the Feast of Trumpets. Traditionally in Jewish communities and synagogues, the reading of the binding of Isaac, which is such a great gospel bridge to mm. uh, God himself giving his son on that very same mountain for our sins. No substitute for us there. He was the substitute. Uh, so, you know, we get to look at all these. And then, of course, we have the Days of Awe and then uh, Rush, uh, Yom Kippur. And, and there's just so many connections to the gospel. Uh, and it's just a great time to look at what God has promised us and what he has done for us and what we, he will continue to do for us. So it's always a good, uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly is sad for many in the Jewish community, much like this month is. Um, but, uh, you know, with, with faith in Jesus, it all makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And that's something I, I really want you to continue to highlight this as we go through the season, and I, you always do so well, is because we get into the church calendar as as Christians, and then we forget about the other calendars that are, I guess you say, surrounding us. I know in Minnesota, there's um, probably some connections that need to be made with the Muslim community, a lot of Somalian um, immigrants who come to America. And it's something that we don't want to go as far as what some church bodies have done, which is basically saying, 
well, we want to celebrate your festivals, but to be able to make, as you said so well, a, a gospel bridge. So any thoughts on that for the Christian and making those connections of people of other faiths like you're doing at uh, Kai V. Shalom? Well, of course, I, I think it'd be, it would be very important wherever you are, and, and Paul certainly did this. He said, you know, I will be Jew to the Jew, Gentile to the Gentile, slave to the slave, all things to all people that some might come to faith. And so we learn, you know, we learn about the cultures that surround us, and we find ways to, to bring the gospel across those bridges that they already know. The wonderful thing about the Jewish calendar, of course, is I don't think it surrounds us, but I think it underpins our church calendar because mm. and that's what the blessing of our of our ministry is. We're we're you know in the same scriptures. We don't have to learn the Quran in order to witness to Jewish people. We know the Hebrew scriptures. They are Jewish. They are there for our our, our guidance and our the Holy Spirit gives us insight into them, and it's the same scriptures. And so the things that we celebrate as, as Jewish holidays are the underpinning of our Christian faith because Jesus did these very same things and fulfilled every one of them. Hmm. Well, that's a, a great reminder for us to pray for the Jewish um, in our own communities because they are there. You've made that very clear. Uh, it's just a matter of looking and praying and seeing what the Lord does. And it's already there. What What is needed is a, is a Messiah. And, and the Messiah is very clear. I love the Abraham connection. We don't need a substitute. We already have one. Um, and so it's a, a great reminder for us in the gospel. So any other highlights before we move on to our text, Pastor? Well, interestingly, in the text, we're coming into events that are being at least remembered by the Jewish community this month. In fact, these events are happening as we speak in the past, this very same time of the year. Uh, hmm. July 17th is the beginning of um, um, Tishbab, and uh, it is the day of mourning that is the day that both the temples were destroyed, along with many other historical events, you know, in Jewish tradition. And there's always, you know, there is the recorded scripture, and then in Jewish tradition, there's the oral tradition, which includes the fact that on um, uh, Av is when, uh, which is the day of the ninth day of the month of Av, was the day when, according to rabbinic tradition, the people uh, received the spies' report as they went into the land of Canaan, and they cried out in unbelief and, un and, and unfaithfulness, and uh, God had them then, sh you know, schlep around for 40 years, and because of their unfaithfulness, according to Jewish tradition, he, de he declared the ninth of Av as being a, a day of mourning and tragedy for all their descendants. And so the ninth of Av is the day that this temple was destroyed, uh, burned, and uh, it's not—it's not burned, of course. In our text, we're not quite there yet, but we're building up to that. Uh, the ninth of Av is the day the second temple was destroyed by the Romans. It's the day that uh, the the temple grounds were plowed under by the Romans after the Bar Kokhba rebellion, and so many, so many other events in the. Um, history of the Jewish people happened on this day because it's a day in which our Jewish people have said, we don't trust you, God. And so God has declared that this was going to be a day of calamity for, the, for their unfaithfulness, just as he is doing here in our text today. I mean, all of the things that are happening here are because 
God is sending, he's using these pagan armies to destroy a city that is stubborn and impudent and, and unfaithful. And that's a great, well, it's a great segue because now I'm really ready to get into the text. We see the reality of unfaithfulness and the faithfulness of God and also the consequence of sin. So there's a lot to dig into this morning and we need the Lord's help. Pastor, can you begin our time in prayer? You bet. Abba Father, we thank and praise you for this day, and we we do we do repent of our own unfaithfulness at times in which we are weak, and yet we praise you that by your Holy Spirit you come alongside and inside and strengthen us and draw us back to you. We pray your 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 hand of healing upon especially your first children that as they continue in, in stubborn unbelief. Uh, that, uh, Father, these calamities throughout history have have continued to happen. And yet, Father, we know that you are a God of good and that you desire their salvation. And, Lord, we pray that you would just raise your church up to speak those words of consolation in times of tragedy. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions concerning 2 Kings chapter 24, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or you also can call us, 1-800-730-2727 or 314-821-0850. 314-821-0850. Pastor Parviz, you've given us a great rundown already, but this is a very dark time in the history of Judah, but we saw some great light in chapter 23. Josiah really seemed to be setting the tone. Finally, some of the idols have been broken, the the altar of Bethel and all these other um, idols he has thrown down. The Passover has been reinstituted. It seems like they're at the cliff. Either they repent and move on and live or they fall off this cliff. Um, so, Pastor, what kind of high, other highlights or lowlights do you have that leads us up to help us out this morning in Chapter 24? Well, the thing that I think is interesting about these events that Josiah played, you know, did in the land of Judah is they were done because the Book of the Covenant was found among the temple furnishings. And so that, that makes me wonder a couple of things. What, what is going on with the oral tradition? Number one, are these things not being told from father to son? Why did they forget these things until they found the scriptures, you know, in the temple furnishings? And how important it is for us to continually be reminded by the scriptures, because how easy it is for us to drift into uh, idolatry and, and sinful behavior because we are not reminded by the scriptures. Thank you, sweetie. I'm, I have my little granddaughter with me today, so you might hear <laughs> Uh, a, a blessed interruption, a blessed interruption. I love it. Amen. But, you know, <laughs> how often do we, when we don't, when we're not in the Word and we just kind of leave it in amongst the temple furnishings at the church or, in, you know, in the room at, at home and we don't actually study it, how we can forget and drift the way that uh, Judah does. Josiah discovers it and then his children are just heinous uh, as they mm-hmm. You know, of course, you know, it's not helpful that, you know, the, the the land of Israel is being punished. They're surrounded by enemies. Pharaoh Necho has, has, has you know, the, the Egyptians continue to raise their ugly head. I think it's interesting that they've, re, they've restarted the Passover, which is our, our freedom from Egypt. And yet Egypt is still 
uh, you know, they had forgotten how, how Egypt was and uh, is still mm. got his, its arms, uh, its hands around their neck. And there's so many reminders here of our own lives, like you said in your, like you prayed today, was our own unfaithfulness and how quickly it can happen that we lose sight of what scripture has to say. I was just talking to one of my uh, pastor friends and he was talking about one of his leaders who literally just had overlooked this whole understanding of the bodily resurrection of Christ. You know, he's confessed his whole life that, and he's kind of like, oh, wait a second, Jesus physically rose and and so it just reminds me of of how we're continually teaching and continually going back to the scriptures and we have to be very patient and not be so judgmental of like because i know for me if someone said that to me i'd be like uh what you the what bodily resurrection this is important stuff but we're dealing with a whole different dynamic in the world maybe a different dynamic but we see it in old testament times but just the patience and faithful, loving teaching that we continually need to do. And that is what they needed. And unfortunately, they, well, basically went off the cliff, I guess you would say. So any other thoughts? We always have to draw people to the word because that's what, that's what Josiah did. And, you know, it was, it was, and, you know, his children and the descendants that became king following him um, and not even descendants in some cases, uh, people who are just placed up as puppet kings by Nebuchadnezzar, but mm, um, mm-hmm. you know they they basically were not counseled from the word, but counseled from reason. Uh, you know, it is reasonable to say we're being surrounded by all these nations. We have to pay, you know pay fealty to them. We have to kneel down to them. It's it's not reasonable to say we have an amazing God who delivered us from the hand of Egypt. We need to depend upon him and go back to his word and how he and and I think that 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 leads to the slide that's in the church today where we have, you know, so many things that are guided by reason rather than the word because we're trying so desperate to accommodate culture or whatever it is. And all we're going to do is this slow slide to to captivity. And, you know, the church will never be assailed against, and we don't need to save it because God has got that firmly in hand. But the visible church on earth is just like this land here in Israel. Those are great connections for us to consider as we look at our text because we cling to the Word. So let's let's get to the Word of God. Um, here we go. A reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of 2 Kings. Well, technically, we're going to start on verse 36 of chapter 23, but 2 Kings chapter 24. So reminder, the gifts are ready, ready for you. So we are starting in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 36. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebedah, the daughter of Padiah, of Rumah, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to, the, to all that his fathers had done. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. He then turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldeans, and bands of Syrians, and bands of the Moabites, and bands of the Ammonites, and sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of Yahweh that he spoke by his servants, the prophets. I'm going to stop there, Pastor, because as we look at those verses, 
we have a new king, Jehoiakim, has come into play, and and he's not quite like Josiah. And what is God up to in these verses? Well, I mean, clearly Josiah was seeking to turn back to the Lord according to his word that they discovered. And, you know, this repetitive sort of narrative, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done, uh, that's the repetitive narrative that, that seems to follow all these evil kings. And and there is a promise, you know, we have Isaiah, we have Jeremiah, all the promises of, yes, one, God's destruction upon sinful people, and yet also God's redemption promise for those who would repent. And yet, and so we have the destruction coming. We have, you know, the next big king sh- shows its ugly head, uh, instead of trusting God, Jehoiakim has 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 become his vassal, and uh, and then of course gets tired of that and turns against him. And now you've got these hordes of armies that, uh, you know, and the Babylonians didn't fight their own wars; they had mercenary soldiers. Uh, that's who these Chaldeans, Syrians, Moabites, and Ammonites are. They're working for the Babylonians, and they're just coming, coming, and coming to destroy Judah as was promised, but God has given, you know, God is a God of patience, and he spent all this time since the prophecies of seeking the repentance of his people, saw it for a moment in Josiah, and yet when the people get into these times of prosperity, we get self-involved and self-reliant, and we forget about God, and we, we sin and do the things that are evil in the sight of the Lord, um, and so the, the destruction is is written <laughs> and one of the one of the and i like how you how you highlighted that because you have the chaldeans the syrians the moabites the ammonites and this is prophesied not only in chapter 20 verse 17 that basically god looks at it all and says this will all be taken away told to hezekiah from isaiah the wonderful connections mm-hmm. of the prophets to our text today as well, that that all this was prophesied, but not only in chapter 20, but basically throughout, well, all of the Bible, but definitely first, second Kings, God continually reminds him of his faithfulness, but also the consequences. It and shows me the long suffering. Yeah, ahead. we always have to remember that God is going to destroy Judah, but he is also going to preserve a remnant, that from mm-hmm. that remnant will come the ultimate salvation of the whole world. And, you know, that's the faithfulness of God, even though human beings who sin against him are going to feel his wrath. So in verse 2, Pastor, and I want to hear your thoughts on this from a pastoral perspective. In verse 2, it says, And the Lord and Yahweh sent against him bands, Chaldeans, Syrians, Moabites, and the Ammonites. So it doesn't say that Nebuchadnezzar sent them. It says the Lord sent them. That can be kind oh, yeah. of a struggle. How would you address this as a pastor? Well, you know, I I, uh, I always run into this. In fact, I can remember an elderly Jewish man who I met with for a while, um, and he, uh, we would meet and have coffee, and his biggest complaint was that he was struggling with his Jewish faith because he couldn't deal with this wrathful God who— you know, after the Exodus, sent the Jewish people into the land to destroy everything that was there. Uh, and and mm. he said, you know, and, and I don't understand how Christians 
have redefined God as this warm, fuzzy, loving God because he's not, right? And I said, no, God has not changed. God has always hated sin. He's always promised that, that he, would, he would punish sin. And if you look at the crucifixion of Messiah where God poured out his wrath on Jesus, you can't say that that's a warm and fuzzy God. I mean, God hates sin. And so, you know, there's no question in the scriptures, Isaiah makes it really clear. Nebuchadnezzar is God's chosen instrument. These Chaldeans, these uh, Syrians, these Moabites, these Ammonites, chosen instruments. The Lord is using them to, to punish and to discipline his children. But children need to be disciplined. This is a harsh discipline, but they've been doing this for hundreds of years. And so... Uh, uh, you know, the reality is that God has not changed. He has poured out his wrath upon him, his own son. You know, we're going to get into Trinitarian theology here, which will drive all of us a little bit crazy. Mm. But, um, um, you know, the reality is that God has not changed in that he still hates sin. And so he's going to punish sin. And yet we always have to remember that in these days, he's, he is still preserving a remnant. Isaiah makes that really clear. His call is always, you know, talk to a people who are never going to hear you. They're never going to see the truth. They're never going to listen. And they're always going to be hard-hearted and stubborn. And Isaiah, when he realizes what his call is, he says, oh, how long do I have to do that, Lord? <laughs> and the Lord says, until the land is devastated, and yet there will be a, ter- you know, a tent in the terebinth, um, the, the remnant that he will preserve. Because the plan of salvation is always the seed of this people who are so rebellious will bring forth the Messiah. And that's, that's even more interesting when you see that theme with the prophets, because on Sunday we had the reading from Ezekiel chapter 2, yeah, where he gets called. Yeah, it's the same thing, verse yeah. 5 of chapter 2, and whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, the Lord says, they will know that a prophet has been among them. So there, there's yeah. definitely a reality of they will know, yeah, this guy is from God, or this is a godly thing, but it doesn't mean that they're going to listen. And that's yeah. what we're seeing here is a stubborn nation and our own stubborn hearts, which is why we pray for repentance and faith. Other other imagine, thoughts you have? Can you imagine if our brothers who are uh, getting their calls at the seminary, they all got calls like Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah? <laughs> oh, right, I, exactly. I got, I got a bit of a call like Isaiah's, but um, they really are a stubborn people. But it's, that's, that's a harsh call. <laughs> That is harsh. That is harsh. Yeah. yeah, you're not you're not you're not so much worried anymore about the benefits of uh, you know health insurance and housing and so forth. I mean, you're literally going to have people not listening to you. So that is, uh, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Well, Pastor, Amen. as as we move forward, uh, these verses. Any last thoughts before we move on? No, go ahead. All right, verses I, three through seven. I, I, three through seven. You bet. I'm sorry. Say it again. I said I could wax on for years, so go Oh, on. that's true. We better move on. Yeah, we better move on. Yeah. Verses 3 through 7. Surely this came upon Judah at the command of Yahweh, to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also for the innocent blood that he had shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Yahweh would not pardon 
And now the rest of the deeds of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. And the king of Egypt did not come again out of his land, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt, from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. So um, all of this has come to fruition, I guess you would say. Babylon has come in. Egypt has kind of been put in their place. And it's a very dark time. How would you describe uh, these verses as we hear them today? I mean, I, I think it's. I think we always have to remember that while Egypt was a major player in the downfall of Judah, um, Egypt got its comeuppance as well, right? I mean, God used the servant Nebuchadnezzar not just to punish his own children who were rebellious, but even those who plotted evil against them. And and so you know the reality is in the church God God does punish and discipline His children. But one of the things we always have to remember, too, is he does take care of our adversaries as well. And that's, and that's a, it's a good reminder for us of how God uses these people in ways we don't fully understand, which I know is a very, like you said so well before, to understand how God is a wrathful God, he's a loving God, but at the same time that he does things that maybe we put God into a little box. And I think one of the struggles that when you hear of King Nebuchadnezzar, is my mind instantly goes back to a Veggie Tales that had King Nebi or Uncle Nebi, yeah. you know, and we've kind of, like you kind of said, made made God into kind of a fluffy puppet that is just nice and warm, and and there's no wrath and no issue. But here we definitely see, you know, the wrath. We see the issues. We see the politics. We see the the dirt and the the, the sin and everything. And about a about a minute left before our break, how would you kind of talk about that in these verses right now? I mean, the, 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 I, I think we have to take everything that God is giving us in the Scriptures, knowing that He is a God who needs to discipline His children, and yet knowing He is also a God who will provide uh, forgiveness and salvation to those who, will, who would repent, uh, we need to take that moment and, and look at our own, yes, our own life. These are not just historical events. Uh, that are there for us to read with interest. They're there for us to read for our own understanding, uh, for our understanding as individuals, as members of the body of Christ. And so that's, you know, there's a reason why these are are preserved for us, and the Holy Spirit will give us that that understanding as we look at them. That's a great reminder for us as we look at the scriptures, but right now we need to take our break. We are studying 2 Kings chapter 24 with Pastor Kevin Parviz, and we'll be right back. Listeners and supporters are talking about Worldwide KFUO. Hello, I just want to thank KFUO for their music and the scripture reading. Just listening to KFUO brings joy and peace. 
and hope God bless you all. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. The USA is the third largest mission field in the world, and church planning is one of the most effective means of making new disciples, new missions to new people and new places. Get ready to plow the fields. Check out the Mission Field USA podcast produced by the LCMS Office of National Mission. You can find it at kfuo.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Orazio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Welcome back. We're studying 2 Kings chapter 24 with Pastor Kevin Parviz. And I want to take one step back as part of thy strong word is that we've been on 1st and 2nd King for a few months. And what a joy it has been um, to be in this book, these books, excuse me, and to be able to see the connections of Jeremiah, Isaiah, and also 1st and 2nd Chronicles, and obviously pointing us always to Christ with Christ's goggles. What's going to be happening is today we do chapter 24, tomorrow with Pastor Ross Engel will be doing chapter 25. Then we're going to take a little bit of a break, going to the Psalms, um, Psalm 4, 5, and then I've kind of done a beginning in the Psalms 1, and then go to Psalm 150, because usually I just go 1 to 150, and then I lose, I don't get to 150 a lot of times. So I want to do 1, 150, 2, 149, that kind of thing. So we'll be doing Psalms 4, 5, 148, and 147. And then I'm excited to announce this right now, is we'll be studying Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is a, is a great book. It talks about building the wall. And unlike the movie, you know, Facing the Giants, it's not about football. <laughs> it's about the, the Lord bringing his people back to the homeland and, and building the wall around his temple, reminding us that Christ is our temple. So just a reminder for everybody, that will be starting uh, July 14th will be our first day of studying Nehemiah, which I'm really excited about. And I ask that you would pray to the Lord would bless our time in God's word. But right now we're still in 2 Kings chapter 24. And so, Pastor, as we look at these verses, um, we have Jehoiakim um, has, has passed away. And I want to have this thought, is the verses that we are about to meet are the time where the proverbial shoe drops, where they go off the cliff. And it's too easy for us to basically blame him and Jehoiachin um, for the downfall. Kind of like a pastor goes to a church and everything falls apart. It's too easy for us to bear that burden upon ourselves. Why is it something where you can't just look at those kings, but you have to look at the long history to understand um, how this all fell apart, as it, as it will, as we see in these verses? Well, primarily, I think, because the Scriptures tell us to. Surely this came upon Judah at the command of the Lord to remove them out of the sight for the sins of Manasseh, for the innocent blood that he shed. I mean, so it mm-hmm. goes back. And, and so, but it also, I mean, this goes back to 
uh, you know, you, I don't know, we had Ezekiel 2 last week, and we also mm-hmm. read a section from Exodus, because we have five different readings in our, um, in our service. Mm-hmm. And in the Exodus, of course, it was, God has delivered everybody from Egypt in these miraculous ways, and they're complaining in the wilderness, why did you bring us out here to die? We would be better to die back in Egypt with our bellies full and our pots full. I mean, it goes back to those days. That's why I like the Egypt connections here in the Mm -hmm. end of this, because it's a reminder that from the day these people were delivered, they were rebellious and, uh, and, and unbelieving and unfaithful, and untrustworthy, and untrusting. Uh, And so all of this is the culmination of this entire history from the delivery from Egypt. And yes, we could also take it back to the the fall, but I I think the delivery from Egypt is sufficient. And you have that connection of him reinstituting the Passover, not only showing God's grace, but maybe a little bit of that too, showing, see, we've been having problems all the way from that point, correct? There's a book ending there that I think we always have to pay attention to. Interesting. Oh, that is really good. So, well, I don't necessarily want to get to this point where Jerusalem is captured, but it's in the text. So we're studying and pray the Holy Spirit makes those connections for us. So we'll be reading, I want to go from verse 8 all the way through 17. As we said, as I've said, you know, they kind of fall off the cliff in the beginning of that um, time. So verse 8. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh, according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon, himself and his mother and his servants and his officials and his palace officials. The king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign and carried off all the treasures of the house of Yahweh and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of Yahweh which Solomon, king of Israel, had made as Yahweh had foretold. He carried away all Jerusalem and all the officials and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and the smiths. None remained except the poor, poorest people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officials and the chief men of the land he took into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon all the men of valor, 7,000 the craftsmen and the metal workers, 1,000 all of them strong and fit for war. And the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Now, Pastor, I want to really break this down um, because there's so much history of Babylonia, of Jerusalem, the history that comes into this place. And so I'm just really trying to, uh, how would you put this into, I guess you say, sections, or how would you teach these verses? Because it is so important in the history of Israel, Old Testament, and also for today. So where would you start? 
Well, the first challenge that I'm constantly confronted with by my Jewish brothers and sisters who are in the know is this textual problem between uh, Jehoiachin, Jehoiakin, the young one, uh, whether mm-hmm. he was eight, eight, because in, <laughs> in Second Chronicles, it says he was eight. And so oh they always, for some reason, pick that little piece to say, if that's wrong, then the whole Bible's wrong. There's nothing I can trust. It always just floors me that people are willing to do that. And of course, there are very good, good ways that you can talk about those distinctions without destroying the inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, and so anybody who's been struggling over 18 and 8, we could talk about that, but you're welcome to actually, uh, you can talk to me later, too. It, it isn't an, an issue that, that undermines the, the veracity of these texts and, the, and the, the inerrancy of Scripture. So that, that thing I always have to run up against, which is really annoying. <laughs> and, and then, of course, we have the, that same refrain, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. Um, what I find really interesting here is Nebuchadnezzar's no fool. So he takes all the plunder, takes all the spoil, apparently destroys it. It's really great that Daniel's able to find some things still left in the treasury and return them. But um, he takes all the strong men, all the royals, all the craftsmen, everything except the poorest in the land, which I can't help but read as the remnant. These poor people who have no other choice but to depend upon the Lord. And who is it that Jesus is born into but a poor family? Uh, you know, and, and he is himself, though king of the universe, a, a carpenter. Uh, I, just, I just find that connection to the people who are left behind as such a delightful thing to contemplate on. But the mercy and the, and the salvation of God do not come from King Herod and Caesar, you know, they come from this humble little people who are left behind. You know, and that's something I guess I wouldn't have uh, made that connection at all in this text. It was kind of more like an afterthought of mine, like, yeah, what a bunch of jerks, you know, you think you'd, you'd take the poor people, but they didn't. But the remnant, so what you're saying is the remnant continues in Judah through the poorest of the poor, the the weakest of the weak, and that was that was actually part of our text on Sunday as well. That I'll boast in my weaknesses yeah. is part yeah. of the the of who we are as Christians. So, yeah, you want to talk further about that? The the poor, the the weak, the heavy laden, or uh, and the connection to the gospel and and what we have here. Yeah, I I just we are we are struck with the reality that Jesus, though even according to Pilate, was king of the Jews, was crucified along with, with, you know, with sinners, along with people who had broken the law. With, you know, and and it, is, it is not in strength that God's kingdom is built. It is not, you know, because I, I, Paul, you know, in that, in that reading that you referred to in Second uh, Corinthians, he's having to deal with uh, basically prosperity gospel, because that's what's going on hmm. behind Paul in Corinth at that time. He, there, there's people coming alongside 
in, in Corinth and, and, and causing the Corinthian church to stumble because they're saying, Paul can't be a real apostle of God because look how much he suffers. And, you know, if you're really a believer in God, you're going to have uh, you, you're not going to suffer like that. You're not going to have tribulation. You're not. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to be healthy. You know, the prosperity gospel is nothing new. And of course, it still it still weighs on the itching ears of the people who want to hear. And the reality is, the the plan of God does not come in prosperity and richness. It comes in weakness and in our in our inability to to do anything for ourselves but to trust God to do it for us. And that's when salvation is poured out to us. That's why infant baptism, I'm baptizing a, a brand new little grand, a grandchild this, this weekend. Mm. And um, I'm lo- really looking forward because infant baptism is just such a beautiful picture. I mean, and I, I made the point with a, a guy who was, you know, coincidentally texting me about why do we baptize infants and, um, you know, I told him, and I connected it to the circumcision that, you know, anybody who waits for a time of discernment and all of that, who waits to understand what they're going to have, they're not going to wait that long to have a circumcision. These things mm-hmm. are done to children because they are helpless, and it is God's grace that pours out to them, even in their helplessness, and that's these poor people here in Jerusalem. Yeah, that's a great that's a great uh, a great connection that we have here too. The poorest of the poor are the ones who are left behind, but they have the remnant. When we're little children, we have we're we're selfish. It's all about us. Um, they can't do anything on their own, and yet God's grace is poured upon them as they were for the poorest of people um, in this yeah. place. And also, well, here we see a a very very real situation of those people who have authority, who have power are the ones who quickly submit under trial. Um, yeah. And so you had Jehoiachin, you know, the moment that there's issue, he just submits himself to the king of Babylon, just Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, I'm yours. What's that now? And his mother. What kind of and his mother. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any connections with that that make that a unique? I mean, I see it as, you know, he, he has all the authority, but once he gets threatened and he wants to have some, hold on to some kind of power, he just submits without even thinking about others. But maybe there's other connections with the mother and what kind of Jewish boy this guy is. <laughs> it's just, you know, the thing is, is that he is clearly not dependent upon anything except his power. And when he sees that, that waning away in face of adversity, he gives it all up for the sake of his own skin. Hmm. And um, everything else, too. And that's what kills me. It's his, I mean, his mother, a Jewish boy's most precious thing, I suppose. Um, I'm being somewhat sarcastic, but um, <laughs> okay. uh, but not only his, but not only his mother, his servants, his officials, his palace officials, and not just that, but the treasury of the temple, the Lord's implements that Solomon himself made, um, are now destroyed as the Lord had foretold. And then he carried away not just them, but he carries away all the. Um, the craftsmen, the smiths, all the military men, anybody of, of any strength of age, he left nothing in the land at Jehoiakim. Uh, he gave it all away to Babylon because he had nothing to depend upon when his power was taken away. And, you know, it, it, it strikes me, uh, sorry about that, it strikes me that um, 
you know, the, that's, that's the danger of the prosperity gospel is when we depend upon our prosperity and it goes away, we lose our faith in God. And that's, you know, that's, what we, we, that's why we preach the theology of the cross. Because, uh, you know, the reality is the cross is the reality. And tell us more about that. How would you break that down? You, we, we use these terms quite often, um, theology of the cross. What does that mean in connection with what we see here in Second Kings 24? I mean, right now, Jehoiakim is getting his cross, right, as well as all of Judah. What is going on? Let me take that off. Um, Jehoiakim is getting his cross, but he was not expecting it, nor was he interested in it. He just, uh, um, sorry about that. I don't know why this is happening like this. I'm just going to do that. I should not, this is not a, oh my gosh, this is not a studio, obviously. Sorry about oh, yeah. that. Yeah. i tell you what, I'll tell this whole story while you're figuring that out, is on Friday, our listeners who listen on Friday, and if you want to listen to this, it's quite humorous is that for the first time, um, I uh, lost connection. And my guest, Pastor Jason Bredesen from California, took over as host. And he oh, joked nice. with me afterwards. He said, I, I, I was in the stead and by the command of KFUO to fill in for you. <laughs> so, so I thought at the same time, I was hosting and he's hosting and I'm talking to nobody but myself. And so, he, you know, it's a whole it's a whole debacle. So technology is always a struggle, but God's word prevails. So. Um, are you good now? So, yeah. So, you know, the reality yeah. is we're getting our, we, we, if we understand the theology of the cross, which is that salvation is assured through weakness, just as Paul had said in Second Corinthians, mm. then, um, and, and weakness is what, I mean, Jesus himself in the garden when he was, when he was arrested said, don't you think I could call 12 legions of angels to attend me? He's the one who told Peter not to fight, you know, even though Peter cut off the ear of the servant. Uh, he healed it immediately. He came to that cross not in power, even though he had all the heavenly powers to turn over the might of Rome. Uh, he he set those aside for weakness. Uh, and so when we depend upon prosperity, and I think that's been the struggle with the church since the 50s, is we've been prosperous, and now the church is waning, apparently, in the West. And now we're all lamenting on how we're going to save the church when the church doesn't need saved. And in weakness, it will grow. We pray every week for persecuted Christians throughout the world in lands where the church is growing because they are weak and they are being persecuted by the nations that they're within. Um, This is not a prosperity thing. This is, I mean, unfortunately, Jehoiakim is a victim of prosperity gospel preaching, you know. I'm the king. It's good to be the king. And when I'm not, I got nothing. And we, and it is, and he doesn't even in his weakness discover the, the, the reality that he's dependent only on Yahweh. I had two thoughts on, and this really, I like how you're making that connection of our text for Sunday from Sunday, excuse me, is that understanding of being weak. Here's Jehoiachin. He definitely wants to have any kind of power he can hold on to, as opposed to, like you're saying, taking up his cross and following the Lord. And he, whatever he can do to hold on to it, he does. And I was thinking about a great, um, a great not change. I wouldn't change my church's name, but a great addition, maybe a mission statement. We'll go something like this: Messiah Lutheran Church, the Boasting in Weakness Church. 
Yeah. <laughs> or right. um, uh, what was the other? Just, you know, uh, Messiah Lutheran Church, the weak church in town or something. Something that really yeah. shows, as Paul says, when I am weak, I am strong. And Jehoiachin doesn't see it that way. And you know what? You and I, I don't see it that way. I don't think many of us see it that way because weakness is bad in the West. And therefore, uh, we don't see want to see the theology of the cross. But here is showing that when you see this downfall, one, it should bring us to repentance, and two, help us to trust in the Lord because you have to see the cross when you're able to see what happened here. So I want to make one connection, Pastor. I want to hear your thoughts. Here we have the temple gets stripped. and It doesn't say of some. It says all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house cut into pieces and all the gold in the temple of Yahweh. How could it, I see in that Jesus being the temple and the stripping on Good Friday. I mean, this is, uh, excuse me, on Holy Thursday, excuse me. Um, it, yeah. I just, I can't help but see that. Is that, a, is that a good connection in your mind as you, as you read these words? Oh, I think so. And this, I think the destruction of the temple is going to be Good Friday. Uh, and then, of course, when you get to Nehemiah, it's not going to be Easter yet, because Easter doesn't happen until Easter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because they, they just keep doing the same, you know, we're in, we're in, we're in that circular Judaic thought at this point, but mm, you're mm. right that these are all those things. And, and it's really, you know, it is always amazing to me. And I, you know, I always see the weakness because I am the, I've been the pastor of a really small congregation for 25 years. I honestly had delusions of grandeur when I took the call to start this ministry thought it was going to be a lot bigger than it is. I fancy myself as a great preacher. Why don't people come to hear me preach? Blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, God has chosen to keep me. And I think it's, it is my humility. It's much like Paul's thorn in his flesh, because I would normally be a, a, a really pretentious jerk. But... Um, <laughs> You know, it, 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 we do have to have to get to the point. I think that's the joy. I've always said to our congregation, our congregation is 50 years ahead of the curve. Um, and I said this 25 years ago, starting in a small little 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 storefront in a church. Um, and, and we and I think the people who are lamenting the loss of you know the cathedrals and the beautiful buildings and the waning membership and all of this, uh, I think we just have to realize that it's in weakness that we grow. We don't, instead of lamenting this, this look for the opportunities that they bring. And I think that's what the poorest in the land, they have nothing to depend on. Everything is gone. All the tradesmen, all the craftsmen, all the smiths, they have to scrabble for whatever they can find in this, desolate area now that has been destroyed uh and it's only god and they're back in the wilderness just like the people who were delivered from egypt in the first place uh how are they going to respond to that and how how is god going to deliver them and he's going to deliver them through the promise of the gospel so let's break this down for a moment King of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has come in. The king has submitted himself. They didn't arrest him. He submitted himself, and they took away all the treasures of the temple. So basically, you know, everything, the gifts of God are taken away, literally. All the the money they've spent, the gold that's the the Lord's, it emphasizes, was taken away. All the strong men, 
all the, the, the king's wives, his officials, everything you can imagine, the craftsmen, the metal workers, the strong and fit for war, all of it was taken away. And all you have left is a porous people and an empty temple is all they have left. And I'm reminded of, well, this would be a thorn in the flesh, right? And yeah. I reminded what, what God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I pray those are the words. Yeah. yeah, right, right. And so you hear those words, and it reminds us of, of what, what, what is the focus, God's grace. Can, go ahead, Pastor. And I, I honestly see these, these people left behind are right back in the wilderness again after the, after the, uh, the deliverance from Egypt. And they're going to have to depend upon God in order to get to the promised land, which is not right now. They is, I mean, they're going to die over the next time. You know, they're going to live this in this because this is going to go on for 70 years before they're repatriated. Um, so many of those poorest in the land are going to pass away just like their descendants did in the wilderness. But they need to look. They, they need to see in their weakness that God is their strength. So let's finish out our verses, and then we can wrap up of not only what does this chapter tell us, but what does it mean for us today? And I think you, you've been hitting that throughout our time in, in wonderful ways. I want you to bring it all together at the end. So verses 18 through 20. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of Yahweh, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast them out from his presence. And Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Pastor, yeah, we have about that, two... Go ahead. Isn't that irony? Um, the king of Babylon changed his name to Zedekiah to justify his... his I mean, Zedekiah means righteousness, the righteousness of God. Mm -hmm. And so he changed his name to Zedekiah to sell him to anybody who might have been left. And uh, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and rebel ultimately rebelled against the, the king who put him into power. What is the so righteousness this, of... Yeah. Right, right. All the search for power and desire for power, all of it works against you anyways. Um, yeah. And so yeah. that's we look at that. Pastor, we have about uh, a minute and a half. As we look at this chapter, there are many nuggets that you have presented us today. How would you wrap this all together, uh, what this chapter means for them and for us? I mean, I think this whole chapter just comes down to repentance, confession, and absolution. And, uh, and if we're not brought to, the, to the, brought to our knees in repentance, then we will be disciplined and punished. Uh, and if we just remain standing stubbornly with our little fists in the air at God, who continues to uh, to show us His mercy, um, but we refuse to receive it, then we are destined for nothing. But and I think you brought it up: the re resurrection of the body. One of the things that I think that we often forget is that all flesh will be resurrected: those who die in faith and those who die outside of faith. And when those who die outside of faith are resurrected, they will be judged and consigned to hell. And um, that's the ultimate. That's the ultimate punishment. That is. That can't be anything like this punishment. I mean, this is time. This is going to be turned around in seventy years. Eternity is forever. And so it, it all comes back to you know searching our own hearts. 
and knowing that, you know, we are not right before God, and we need to get on our knees and confess and receive his forgiveness uh, and not be stubborn and impudent as those people that, that, that Ezekiel was called to be, and that people are still today, not just Jewish people, but all so many people who are stubborn and impudent. And Lord, uh, lead us to repentance. Pastor Kevin Parviz of Congregation Kai V. Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri, helping us today with 2 Kings chapter 24. Pastor Parviz, thank you again for being our guest. And thank you. Sorry for those uh, little distractions. <laughs> A blessed so distraction blessed they are. A blessed distraction. Yeah. <laughs> Saints right. of our Lord, it was a dark time for the people of Israel, but God is light. As the temple was stripped clean of all of its treasures, it was our Lord Jesus who was stripped for you. Holy Thursday, we see this. Good Friday is the destruction of the temple, but we know that the temple would be resurrected. And that is our hope. That is our light. And that light shines on you. It is Christ our Lord, and in him there is no darkness at all. As I wonder, the wonderful hint, hymn that says, I want to walk in, as a child of the light tells us, shine in my heart, Lord Jesus. This is our strength, and this is our hope. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.